Fernando, I bet you've heard this before. The only way to learn a language is total immersion. I have. You have to go to the country, as I did when I left Mexico and lived for a time in the U.S. But what if you couldn't go to the country? You mean you're too busy or don't have the money? Well, yes, that's often the case, as we know. But what if you couldn't go to the country because you'd risk your life? Yeah, that wouldn't be too much of an incentive. But that's just what happened a century ago when World War I broke out. Before the war, American language teachers were free to book steamship passage to Europe where they could take courses in Spain, France, Italy, or Germany while also being immersed in those languages. Except when war broke out in 1914 and they couldn't go. Precisely. And this is the story of one particular language teacher who didn't take it sitting down. Her name was Lillian Strobe, and she was a professor of German at Vassar College. She asked what turned out to be a fateful question. Why can't we simulate going abroad right here in the United States? Sometimes all it takes is to ask a beautiful question. And the answer to Lillian Strobe's beautiful question lives on today and is the subject of this episode, The Magic of Middlebury. But first, let's welcome everyone to the show. I'm Steve Levine. I'm Fernando Hernandez. And you're listening to America the Bilingual. So let's hear more about Lillian Strobe. To begin answering her own question of how to simulate the experience of a summer in Europe without leaving the United States, she decided it required three things. Number one, isolation from all English-speaking countrymen. Number two, a pledge that everyone would take to speak only the language being learned. And number three, you'll like this one, Fernando, it must be in a beautiful setting to simulate the beauty of Europe in the summer. You're right. I do like number three. So she was a professor at Vassar College, which is in upstate New York. That's a beautiful place in the summer. True enough. Poughkeepsie is beautiful in the summer. But Professor Strobe decided it was not isolated enough. It was too close, even in 1915, to New York City with all its distractions and all that English. So Lillian found Middlebury College? Actually, a Vassar colleague of hers was taking the train from a conference in Montreal back to New York. The train stopped in a remote college town in the Vermont countryside. She told Lillian she must see it. When Lillian did visit, she was enchanted. and found the college receptive to her idea of setting up a summer language school. And that was the start. And you went to report on Middlebury, let's see, 104 years later? I did. As we were researching summer language immersion programs, I kept hearing about Middlebury and the Middlebury magic. Well, so you were skeptical? Well, I did want to see it for myself. And I got there on July 2nd, just as the language schools were opening up all over the campus. It was a beautiful sunny day in the 80s when I sat down in the book-lined corner office of the dean. I asked him, what is this Middlebury magic? <laughs> I guess we're asked this a lot. I'm Steve Snyder, dean of the Middlebury Language Schools. I would say two things. One, it's certainly the language pledge. 
and clearly from the very beginning that's been what we now call our competitive advantage. But the fact that we enforce it more strictly than anyone else, the second thing I would say is that the students are the magic because they come with a seriousness of purpose that I don't think any other institution gets out of their language students. Steve, is Middlebury only for advanced students? Actually, they take all levels, but they seek out students who are very serious about learning. They come because they know what we've been doing for 104 years, and in some senses it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because the people who come obey the pledge, we rarely have to discipline anyone, and they actually make the effort that it takes to get the results every summer. And what about the teachers? They must be an important part, too. Yes, many of them come from abroad and bring their families for the entire summer. We have people who've been teaching the schools for three and four decades because they love the summer here and they love having the best students. And what about the pledge? In signing this language pledge, I agree to use French as my only language of communication while attending the Middlebury language schools. I understand that failure to comply with this pledge may result in my expulsion, my expulsion, my expulsion, my expulsion, my expulsion, my expulsion. expulsion. The students are streaming in to take the pledge in the next 24 or 48 hours and uh, plunge into this experience. So it's very exciting for us to see them. I am Elizabeth Carnes Keefe. Associate Dean of the Middlebury Language Schools. Dean Carnes Keefe went on to say what they look for in students. Someone who can open their heart to this experience and plunge in and take the language plunge as you take the language pledge to really immerse yourself in the broad experience of language and culture. Dancing, singing, eating, talking, playing soccer. They expect students to stay in the language all the time, even on their phones? Yep. If they use their phones, they must be set to the target language, too. We have a story of students going down to the local hospital and refusing to speak to the physicians in English because they've taken the pledge. They take it very seriously. We don't pretend it's easy at all. As a matter of fact, the place is often called a boot camp. The Russian school is often referred to as the gulag. In convocation on Thursday night, we'll talk about the suffering that the students will do. We know now that they experience immersion stress. We know that the memory load for a program like this that compresses essentially an entire year of language learning into seven or eight weeks is almost unbearable for some people. So it's not easy in any way. But again, we have the motivated students. He seems proud of how hard it is. And Dean Snyder isn't the only one. I also interviewed the Middlebury Dean of Operations, Tim Page. Okay, so, wow, If uh, maybe if language schools were uh, military, you guys would be, what, the Marines or the SEAL team? We've been called many of those, and actually we have many of those people are in our program. So we have a solid experience, solid history of working with our U.S. government. And they send their students to us for the same reason our students come to us without being compelled to, to learn their language. So Middlebury really does sound like language boot camp. I'm assuming all the suffering pays off? The deans I spoke to, while stressing how hard it was, also stressed the rewards. Maybe after a week or two, students want to jump off the roof, but a couple of weeks later, they're in this sort of state of euphoria where they are speaking the language and writing the language. And uh, it's pretty exciting to see the transformation. And here's Dean Snyder. Students will constantly say that they, at some point, had a breakthrough and realized that suddenly the language they were studying had become 
incredibly natural to them and that they were able to communicate in a way that they hadn't thought possible even a few weeks before. I've watched this, of all places, on a Simpsons episode. <laughs> I love The Simpsons, but I don't remember that episode. It's from the early, early seasons when Bart is living in France on a bogus foreign exchange program. You're a policeman, aren't you? Excusez-moi, je ne parle pas anglais. But y you gotta help me. He suddenly realizes he can't speak French after spending some time doing some forced labor at a winery. Voilà un bonbon. I... <coughs> I, I don't want a piece of candy. I need your help. <laughs> Come on, mister. Can you help me? Je suis désolé. J'aimerais vraiment pouvoir vous aider. Oh, forget it. I'm so stupid. Anybody could have learned this dumb language by now. Here, I've listened to nothing but French for the past two mois. Et je ne sais pas un Eh? Mais je parle français, maintenant. Incroyable! Well, I don't think they make wine at Middlebury, but the learning continues outside the classroom, that's for sure. We say that you cannot learn a language without learning the culture in parallel learning, very important. You have to eat their food, as Anthony Bourdain said. Mm -hmm. You have to sing their music. You have to play their sports in order to really be able to digest the words that you're learning. Fernando, you'll remember the episode we did on identity? Of course, episode 22. Dean Snyder talks about that. Most students feel as though it's a life-changing experience, that it's truly transformative to, to have spent this amount of time in a community with this kind of single purpose. And not only have they learned a tremendous amount of grammar and syntax, but they have actually recreated themselves. They have a new self in the language that they're studying. Yes, that's what we covered in episode 22. Can learning a language help you find your true identity? There's a, a great deal of research to show that identity is integrally linked to language. So you're forced essentially to recreate your identity as a different person in the new language. And most people find that to be a really life-changing kind of experience. I heard more about such transformations from the director of enrollment. You go through highs and lows. And so you come in, the excitement on the first day is incredible. There's nerves, but once the schools form, they're just excited and loud and, you know, really have that sense of pride for their particular language. I'm Molly Baker, and I'm the director of enrollment at Middlebury Language Schools. Probably by the fifth or sixth week, students that I've met with at Brown or Columbia or Kenyon College will kind of be glaring at me, saying, well, you know, what am I doing here? This, this is really challenging. This is really hard. And I don't know if I'm going to make it even one more week. And then you get to that seventh or eighth week, and the whole campus picks up. And on graduation day, it's almost a rite of passage. You've completed the Middlebury Language Schools, and it's almost like you've come through Olympic training camp or you've come through the SEALs. You have that for the rest of your life.
Steve, okay, it sounds great, but wait, this whole thing was invented because people couldn't go to Europe during World War One. Now we can. So if I'm going to spend eight weeks, why not do it in Europe instead of Vermont? That's just what I asked. Here's Dean Snyder. Middlebury runs study abroad programs at 37 sites around the, the world, and we know they're very effective, but the kind of immersion and the kind of enforced language policy that we give the students during the summer creates even better results. They come here with the single purpose, not of being tourists, not of developing relationships, not of studying Moliere, but simply to improve their language. Dean Snyder told me they test students before and after the summer program at Middlebury, and the tests show more progress happens in Vermont than in the same amount of time abroad. A lot of it, they say, is about having the freedom to make mistakes Here's Dean Page. I had an experience in Russia where I was hoping to give a woman who had cooked dinner for myself and, and our group a compliment and calling it very tasty food. Instead, I made the mistake of calling it very boring food. And it's, it's okay to do it once during the dinner. I did it several times. Not good. What the language schools allows you to do is to focus on your language and to get it to a level where then you can take your Italian and go to Rome and have a proficient conversation with, with a Roman and to do it with the self-confidence that you are expressing yourself the way you want to. Dean Page says the summer programs are especially effective as a slingshot to living abroad. We've been here for 100 years, and so there's a reason, and that's because we help people achieve those goals that they weren't able to do otherwise, and the feedback that we get, especially from students who are able to go directly abroad and put all of their hard work to use immediately, it's really wonderful. So are the summer schools mostly for college students and military? I asked Molly Baker about that. You do have to be a high school graduate all the way up to 80 years old. So we had twin 80-year-old sisters who did the program two years ago. In, in what language? In French, yeah. So we get that. W- were they preparing for a, a study abroad? <laughs> um, they loved, <laughs> uh, no, no, okay. not exactly. And Dean Carnes Keefe said graduates are... In a whole range of careers, from government and military service to teachers and NGO workers. And she mentioned a famous young author who won the National Book Award. ta Coates is a writer for The Atlantic magazine, very well known now because of many books that he's written. And he came here to study French in anticipation of going to Paris for a year. And he started with zero French, basically. And at the end of the summer, he was gabbing away in French, which was really fantastic. And I know he's taken good advantage of that in his journalism career and his writing career. The fact that the Middlebury summer language programs have been around for more than a century makes for some other interesting possibilities. We have a student in the French school whose grandparents met in the French school in 1949. And we even have the picture His grandparents are on either side of the photo and graduated in 1949, married, and now their grandchild has always had it in the back of his mind to to come to Middlebury, and now he's here and and kind of repeating their story. Is he kind of looking for his bride? (laughs) I've already matched him up. I'm on the admission side. (laughs) 
When Lillian Strobe founded the program in German, all the students were language teachers. Today, Middlebury still focuses on teachers, most of whom are earning their master's degrees. Here's Dean Snyder. While currently the larger number of students in the language schools are doing essentially first through fourth level basic language learning, we every summer have 500 or so graduate students who come not just to perfect their language skills, they've come to study the cultures that they're involved with at a very high level. And so we're a knowledge generator in that sense as well, that Middlebury has been producing um, specialists in language teaching and learning for a long, long time. Do the language teachers, the graduate students, mix with the more basic language learners? They do, for the social events and for meals. I had lunch while I was there with Dean Tim Page and Molly Baker. Uh, so we're um, at Proctor Dining Hall on the co- campus of Middlebury College. This is the uh, French school's lunch. And Molly, what do you see when you look out into this room? I see, I, I would say the best thing is that you see over 200 students, they're, they're all engaged, they're all, all talking about their day, their, their morning of classes and, and what they're going to do this afternoon. But the best thing is it's all in French. So these, they're all speaking uh, French because they have signed the language pledge. Correct. So we're sort of hiding out here. Fortunately, there's enough noise and the fan is blowing, so they can't tell we're speaking English. Exactly. We're kind of hiding off to the side and and getting our, our words in why we can so they can't hear us. you think they'd beat us up if they caught us speaking English here? Uh, they may report us to the dean. <laughs> I was also able to sit down with a couple of those graduate students. I'm Julia Spiegelman, and I'm a foreign language teacher. You are wearing a button on your shirt that's blue with two white letters that say FR. What does that mean? That indicates that I am in the School of French, um, and therefore during my time here I I will only be speaking in French. Thank you for making an exception right now. (laughs) Tell me about how has your Middlebury experience been? It's been great. Um, I was a little bit grumpy when I started because I'd just gotten married and I was sort of like, I'm too grown up for this. <laughs> I didn't, didn't want to go away all summer. Um, and this was four years ago? Three years ago, yeah. yeah. And I just loved the chance to speak French all the time. It was just so fun. Um, the, and I think for me the most the coolest thing has been the opportunity to connect with people from different francophone countries. So like the, the way we're in constant proximity with each other, professors and students, and often like professors come with their families. I next sat down with Kelly Dewey, a German language educator. So this is my third year at Middlebury. You typically do either four summers um, or you do one summer followed by a, a calendar year in Germany. Kelly told me that she didn't plan on being a German teacher and in fact worked in Germany doing other things. I've gotten four different jobs out of speaking German and only one of them had anything to do with teaching German. I got jobs in the legal world, I got jobs in the IT world, and that was because of the fact that I had this extra language. So. I got opportunities to go and live in other cities in, on another continent because of the fact that I spoke a language that wasn't my native language. So that was a pretty cool thing. Um, are Germans ever surprised that you're an American? Part of it, I think, is that I smile too much. 
I've been told that I'm, I'm a little bit too uh, unseen. You're smiling now. You've I been smiling. I've smile noticed that. You have a very, very pretty smile. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that's, not, that's not German? There, there's much more um, of, a, of a reserve at first, and then once you know people, then it's very, very much more open. That is so interesting. Yeah. So have you adapted in any way? Do you frown when you're in Germany? <laughs> I don't. I don't think I do. I, I think that 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 you know is something that I find hard to adapt to. Kelly told me she likes mixing with the beginners who are learning German at Middlebury. Two years ago, my first summer at Middlebury, there was there's a dance for everybody at the German school. The whole German school is about 150 people. And um, I was at this dance and met a young man, and he was uh, having a really good time at this dance. You're given a drink ticket. So this was, you know, probably a, a very young 21-year-old gentleman who uh, was trying to convince anyone around to let him have their extra drink tickets if they didn't want them. But the, and he had to do this in German. He had had approximately six days of German. And his German was objectively terrible. But the thing that was amazing about this encounter was that not once did he break into English. He was completely committed to making everything he wanted to have happen, happen with a little bit of sign language and maybe some like, you know, creative dancing. And it, it was effective. It worked. So that was something where, you know, that made a huge impression on me really early on that, you know, the... 24-7 language pledge environment is something that makes Middlebury really special and that people get a ton out of when they come here. I'm happy to hear the German school is so large, but you'll remember our episode 19 when America went to war against the German language that was during World War I. How did the school survive that period? Yes, I asked Dean Snyder about that. It was just simply mandated. You weren't allowed to teach German in U.S. educational environments, so we did put that school on hiatus. The irony, of course, was that the founder was a professor of German, Lillian Stroiba, and the German school was the first school, but we very quickly in the next three years founded both the French school and the Spanish school. So there were two schools functioning, and the German school was on hiatus for 13 years. But essentially, that's been the only time we've closed a school. Today, Middlebury has 11 language schools, eight of them at the original Middlebury campus in Vermont, and three language schools at their Mills College campus in Oakland, California. Last summer, they had a total of 1,500 students. And although Middlebury was born amidst war, the staff believes their work and the work of their students contributes to peace in the world. It's one thing we can do to uh, counter the impression that, that people from this country aren't interested in the rest of the world. And it's one thing we can do to counter our own kind of insular mentality and, and figure out what the rest of the world is actually thinking in a way that it's impossible to do completely in English. Molly Baker told me about one of their students who seeks to help migrants on the border with Mexico. We have a student this year who is an immigration lawyer and right after this he's moving to Texas and he wants to be able to communicate with his clients better and he wants to 
really help help those individuals right on the border. That's encouraging to hear that. He has come here. He has a pretty high level of Spanish. But when you're a lawyer and you need to communicate the nitty gritty, he's come here to really become, you know, master the language and, and really use it with, within his work. I asked Molly why she does what she does. I do what I do because of those stories. We get absolutely amazing students. I mean, it's going to sound cheesy, but they, they are going to save our world. <laughs> you know, after reading the news every, every single morning and then you read an application and, and you kind of think it's going to be okay. <laughs> <sighs> The America the Bilingual podcast is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFUL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. This episode was written by me, Steve Levine, and our producer, Fernando Hernandez, who also does our sound design and mixing. Associate producer Becky Rankin provided her indispensable field work, as always. Mim Harrison is our editorial and brand director for the America the Bilingual project. Graphic arts are created by Carlos Plaza Design Studio. Special thanks to my friend Wayne Welch, who came with me to Middlebury, and Middlebury College graduate Lois Kaufman, who provided important background. Support for the America the Bilingual Project comes from the Levenger Foundation. Music in this episode, Quasi-Motion by Kevin McLeod, was used with a Creative Commons attribution license. Our thanks to Epidemic Sound for helping us make beautiful music together. If you like this episode, please share with your friends and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine.